Awesome. Welcome, everybody. If this is your first time here, we're so glad that you're here. We just want to say that we are a family here, and we talk about the hard things and the easy things and the good things. And so if this is your first time, my name is Heather Taves, and I'm a part of this church, and I um, am married to the smoking hot 40-year-old on the front row. <laughs> we celebrated him turning 40 last Saturday, so that was fun. Um, I'm not 40 yet, so not that close. <laughs> Um, wow, can I just tell you that we, Chris and I had the privilege to travel for his birthday, and so we were gone two Sundays in a row, and then the third Sunday was a Sailor Sunday. So it has been four Sundays since we've been here, and I could not wait to come back. And it wasn't because there's anything, you know, super special about this place, it was that Um, when we gather here together, when all of you are here, the Spirit of God is here. And uh, I just want you to know, you might not believe me, but I'm telling the total truth. When we, (laughs) thank you, Heidi. When we were gone on our trips, I honestly thought about y'all a lot. Most of you, maybe not everyone, because I don't know every single person here, but I just want you to know that Chris and I love you so much, and our hearts are so here with you, that even when we're gone, Our hearts are thinking of you, we're praying for you, we are about you. And so I just want you to know that sincerely, that you are our people, and we might travel to the ends of the earth, but we still come back here because this is home. You guys are home. So, all right, today I get to kick off a brand new series all about the life of David. Yes, we are doing a series on David Little. Just kidding. Right? You're kind of like our mascot, I feel, which is such a compliment. No one would ever name me a mascot of anything, but you could be a mascot. If you don't know David Little, find him afterwards and just give him a hug. David likes hugs. He's kind of like Olaf. He likes warm hugs. Okay, I don't even know where I'm going with that, but I am talking about David, the shepherd boy. I'm talking about David, the slayer of Goliath. I'm talking about David, who was the king of Israel. I'm talking about David, whose bloodline Jesus came from. About four months ago, I began reading in my Bible about David, um, specifically about his life, but also the Psalms, which he wrote many of them. And I started feeling like we were supposed to talk and teach and learn as a group about David here at church. Around this same time, I had a conversation with a man who was my pastor for many years. He was also the first one who ever encouraged me to become a preacher. So if there's someone in your life that you're mentoring or leading and you have a feeling that they need to be doing something that that they're not doing yet, tell them. Um, If it weren't for Pastor John, I'm not sure I would be up here today. So thank you, Pastor John. He didn't know that I was studying the life of David on my own, and out of the blue, he suggested that I read this book called The Making of a Man of God, except bless his heart when he said it, or The Woman of God. He never forgot that there's a difference and that God calls both men and women to his service. This is lessons from the life of David. So that confirmed it. I knew that it was time that we, as a teaching team, do a series on the life of David. I brought it to the teaching team, and they were like, yes! Can it be 45 weeks long? (laughs) No. 
we settled on nine. And nine doesn't even begin to cut it. There is so much in the life of David that is so powerful. We're going to learn about the good and the bad and the ugly of his life. And the beautiful thing is that he's just like you and me. He made a lot of mistakes. He messed up a lot. But as we find out through the rest of this message, there's one reason that he still was chosen by God and continued to be chosen by God. So today I'm going to tell you the tale of two kings. Both kings were same in the crucial, important ways, but both were very different in the outcome of their lives and their legacies. But before we get to the tale of the two kings, I have to give you a little bit of history. You all know me. Bible history is where I geek out. So we have to start with some history of how we got to the place of these two kings, and it starts with Samuel. His story starts in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles with you, you can flip there. If it's an electronic Bible, you can click there. Here's the thing. If you bring your Bibles to church, this isn't a religious thing. This isn't a check the mark, check the box thing. Here's why I like to bring my Bible to church, my actual Bible to church. Okay, I'm not guilting you. I'm just giving you a tip. You can take notes in your Bible. Did you know that? Some people are like, oh, I don't know. I don't think I should write in the holy book. This is, these are just pieces of paper. And when you take notes on what God spoke to you, and then you go back and you look at it, you're like, oh yes, I remember God spoke that to me. So bring your Bibles and take notes, it's awesome. So Samuel's start, story starts with Hannah. Hannah was his mother. Hannah was unable to have children and she had prayed and asked God for a child. I know we have some people in here today that are in that exact same spot. You've prayed and you've asked God for a child and he's answered your prayers. And then we have some people in here who are still waiting for that answer. She told God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you in service. So he did. And so did she. She obeyed the promise that, God had, that she had given to God, made to God. She took her young son as a little boy to the tabernacle to grow up with the priest. Now, I mean, that's a whole thing right there, okay? Parents, can you imagine bringing your child to Church 214 and dropping him off or her off and saying, okay, you can grow up now with the church? I mean, no. Obviously, things were a little bit different because in the tabernacle, the priests lived there and they had the young boys would come in and be trained in priestly duties. It was like an apprenticeship. So things were a little bit different. But here's the thing. I think a mom is a mom, whether it was 1100 BC or 2017 AD. Am I right? That had to have been a hard thing. But Hannah kept her word to God. I'd like to think that this set the stage for the rest of Samuel's life as he followed her example of obedience to God. From a very young age when he was just a boy, God spoke to him and used him to lead the nation of Israel. First Samuel chapter 3. Samuel grew up. God was with him. And Samuel's prophetic record was flawless. Everyone in Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, recognized that Samuel was the real thing. He was a true prophet of God. Okay, little side note. If someone says that they are a prophet, and they give a prophecy, and it doesn't come to pass, do not trust that they are hearing from God. There are these people that predict things, these end of the world things, or this is going to happen on such and such a date, or this is going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. They are not hearing this from God. 
It's to satisfy their own flesh. Don't trust their words. Deuteronomy even talks about this. You may be wondering among yourselves, how can we tell the difference whether it was God who spoke or not? Here's how. If what the prophet spoke in God's name doesn't happen, then obviously God wasn't behind it. The prophet made it up, forget about him. But Samuel's prophetic record was flawless. Everything he prophesied had come true. So Samuel held all of these unique roles in his life. He was the last judge of Israel. He was the first prophet to Israel, and he is the founder of the monarchy. Now, let me explain all of this. Okay, the people of Israel were governed by judges for uh, around 400 years, give or take a few years. From the time they left Egypt in slavery, and then they wandered for 40 years, and then they finally set up camp, set up their homeland in the promised land in Canaan. From that time until the time that we're talking about these two kings today, they were ruled and governed by judges. Samuel was the last of those judges. We're going to start reading in 1 Samuel chapter 8. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel, Joel and Abijah. His oldest sons held court in Beersheba, but they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old. Thank you. And your sons are not like you. Talk about two slams in a row, right? Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for it is me they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods, and now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about a way that the king will reign over them. So Samuel warns the people. He says, do you know what will happen if a king takes the throne? He'll take your sons and put them in an army. And he, Samuel gives them all these warnings. But the people refused to listen. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like all of the other nations. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. They wanted to be like all of the carnal, worldly nations around them. God had established Israel as a set-apart, very different nation. And yet they were not content with the way that God wanted to lead them. They wanted to be like all of the world around them. I find it intriguing that Samuel knew that it wasn't best for Israel. He was opposed to it. But because the Lord told him to move forward, he did. He obeyed. See, we don't always understand God's instructions to us, and we don't even always agree with them. But what's more important than being in agreement with God is being in obedience to God. So as Israel gets their first king, Samuel transitions out of judge and into prophet for Israel. He's the first of many prophets. You'll recognize the more famous ones, Isaiah, Jeremiah. But he was the first prophet that helped spiritually lead Israel. As the kings ruled Israel, the prophets would spiritually help lead Israel. And he began to help the monarchy be set in place. 
So Samuel was the last judge, the first prophet, and the one who ushered in the monarchy. Here's where the tale of our first king, King Saul, begins. Reading in 1 Samuel chapter 9. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. Now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines. The Philistines were their biggest enemy. For I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. They wanted a king to take them into battle, to battle their enemies. Not a wrong thought. They, they wanted to defeat these people that had been tormenting them. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. So then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has anointed you, appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. I want to talk to you about anointing. What happens when God's anointing is placed on you? See, a bunch of prophetic things begin to happen to Saul, and God's spirit comes on him in a mighty way. Then we find that Samuel has called all the tribes of Israel before the Lord. Okay, we're picking up in chapter 10, verse 20. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel to the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the Matrites was chosen. Can you imagine, like your whole family is up there, and you're just like, is it going to be us? Is it going to be us? Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he's hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above anyone else. Then Samuel said to the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Here's, here's something I want to mention. He is hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out. Saul had been anointed. He had been chosen by God, and he knew that he was supposed to be king. But he was scared of his anointing. He was scared of the people. He felt unqualified and inadequate, and he went to hide in the baggage when it was time for him to take his place as king. Some of you, some of us, are anointed, we're chosen by God for a specific purpose, but we're hiding in the baggage. You know that you're supposed to be used in your workplace, in your marriages, in your families, in your church, in your neighborhoods, in your schools. You know you are called to do it, but you are hiding in the baggage. Fear has sent you to hide in the baggage. Laziness has sent you there. Comparison has sent you to hide in the baggage. Negativity has sent you to hide in the baggage. Do you know what all of those things have in common? Fear and laziness and complacency and negativity, they're all tactics of the devil. Fiery darts that the devil has used to send you to hide in the baggage. Because if he can get you to hide in the baggage, he can keep you from doing the work of the kingdom that God has prepared for you to do. I traveled a lot these last 
few weeks. I was on 16 flights in six weeks. Do you know what happens to the baggage? It gets stored underneath the plane, and then it gets put on a carousel at the destination, where it goes around and around and around until someone pulls it off. It's time to stop hiding in the baggage and riding the carousel around and around, just waiting. Waiting for the right time. Waiting for someone else to tell you what to do. Waiting for the perfect opportunity. Waiting for the solar eclipse. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And all the while, no, literally, some people are waiting for the solar eclipse to happen. I heard someone say it the other day. All the while, the real life that you're supposed to be living is passing you by. The anointing that is on you as you ride around the carousel cannot be used the way it's supposed to be used. Stop waiting for someone else to come and get you off and find you in the baggage. Get yourself off the carousel. Step out of the baggage and step into the place that God has for you. So Saul becomes king. And in the very early days of his kingship, he does some really awesome things for Israel. He takes the army and he defeats the Ammonites. They were long-standing enemies of Israel, and the whole nation of Israel was happy. But Saul's success as, as king did not last very long. Only a couple of chapters later, from the time that Saul had been anointed, we find him massively disobeying the Lord. The instructions that were given to him by the Lord through Samuel. He takes matters into his own hands, and instead of doing things God's way, he does things his way. I mentioned the Philistines earlier. Most of you probably know them best because Goliath was a Philistine. They were the biggest enemy and threat to Israel throughout all of King's reign. In the midst of one of these battles that's raging between Israel and the Philistines, this is where Saul begins to reject some of God's instructions. Don't you find that sometimes it's in the midst of a really big battle that we're like, ah, God, you're really not doing this the way I want you to do this. You're not working fast enough. And in the midst of our battle, we stray away from obedience. Samuel had given Saul instructions from the Lord to go to Gilgal and wait for him to arrive where together they would offer up a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. See, it was different there. Jesus hadn't come to earth yet to be the sacrifice for all of us. So the priests had to offer the sacrifices to the Lord for the um, forgiveness of sins, the burnt offerings to worship and honor the Lord. Other people could be involved, but they had to go through a purification ritual. So Samuel had to be there. It's during this time that Samuel says, wait for me, Saul, I'm coming, that Samuel, Saul and his men are all in this ongoing battle with Philistines. 1 Samuel 13, verse 6. Meanwhile, Saul was at Gilgal and waited there seven days for Samuel as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? 
Saul replied, well, I saw my men were scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines were at Michmash ready for battle. When we disobey, how often do we put the blame on everyone else? Maybe it's not even disobedience. Maybe it's just a struggle we're going through. Maybe it's just a hard season of life, but it's everyone else's fault. It's your husband's fault, your wife's fault, your boss's fault, your kid's fault. He says, so I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. If you feel compelled to sin, it's still sin. If you feel like you're supposed to do something, compelled to do something that is in direct disobedience to the Lord, it is still sin. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, this is so crucial right here, had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. Here's what Samuel was saying to him. God wanted to use you and your bloodline to bring Jesus to earth. Samuel didn't know all of this, but this is, this is what he's saying because we know this now because of Jesus. God wanted to use you to establish his kingdom forever. But because of your disobedience, he's chosen another. He says, Saul, you lost it. God has chosen another. Do we realize the detrimental loss when we disobey? That it might not just affect us, but it might affect something for eternity. The next two chapters are just a snowball effect of Saul's sin and disobedience. It builds and it builds and it builds and he keeps doing things his way and he keeps turning his back from the Lord and his heart is hardened towards the Lord. And then we see this terribly sad and life-altering thing happen and the Lord rejects Saul. Can you imagine? If your name was in this Bible and the sentence with your name in it said, the Lord rejects Heather, the Lord rejects Chris, the Lord rejected Saul. 1 Samuel 15, then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and he has refused to obey my command. Saul was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Saul has once again been disobeying the Lord, given clear instructions to go in and defeat the Amalekites and wipe them all out. The Lord said, leave no one and nothing alive. So Saul comes out to meet Samuel, and he's all giddy and excited. Samuel says to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me about you last night. Well, what did he tell you? Saul asked. Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? 
The Lord has anointed you king of Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul instructed, insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everything else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and plundered to sacrifice to the Lord. But Samuel replied, please hear this, you guys. This is so good. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt sacrifices and offerings or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than your works. Obedience is better than anything you can do for God. He says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. I have said this. Well, I'm just stubborn. I don't think I'll ever say that again. Because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now the spirit of the Lord left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Saul's life had begun with such promise He was the chosen one by God. He was anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. God would have established his eternal kingdom through his bloodline to bring Jesus to earth. But now his life had ended in such misery. The spirit of God left him. Once anointed, God removed the anointing from him. All because of his disobedience and the condition of his heart towards God. Now let's move to our tale of our second king, King David. Now the Lord said to Samuel, this is chapter 16, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I think someone needs to hear this today. There's something in your life that you're mourning. There's something in your past that you've been holding on to. And it's okay that you've mourned it, but it's time to stop mourning it. It's time to get up and move on to the next thing that God has for you. The Lord says, you've mourned long enough. Get up. I have something else for you to do. I have rejected Saul as king of Israel, so go fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So Samuel says, God says to Samuel, go to Bethlehem and find one of Jesse's sons. Okay? Samuel does not know that it's David at this point. But Samuel knows that if Saul finds out he's going to anoint a new king, he'll take care of him. So he says, Lord, well, how am I supposed to do this? And the Lord says, hey, go offer up a sacrifice as a cover, which is just so awesome that it was like covert and, you know, CIA. And the Lord was like, hey, here's a cool plan. Go do this when you're really supposed to be doing this. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem and he invites Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. Jesse and his sons all show up, but one. Guess who wasn't there? David. 
Immediately, Samuel sees Eliab, the oldest, and because of his height and his good looks, assumes that this is who the Lord has chosen. But the Lord says, no, I don't look at the outward appearance like you do. I look at his heart. It's always about your heart condition. So another son steps forward. Nope, not him. And another. Nope, not him. And then another. Nope, not him. Seven of Jesse's sons step forward, and the Lord rejects every single one of them as his chosen king. 1 Samuel 16, verse 10. So Samuel says to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. I'm sure at that point Samuel was like, uh, God, did I hear you wrong? He says, are these all the sons you have? Well, there is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We're not going to sit down to eat until he arrives. I would have been like, get him here now. I'm hungry. (laughs) So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Some translations say ruddy, which some theologians think means he was a redhead. So for all the redheads out there, super cool. (laughs) Guess we'll know in heaven. (laughs) Enter David. David is on the scene now. He wasn't his father's choice to be anointed king. In fact, his father, Jesse, was so sure that it wasn't David that he didn't even call him in from the fields for the sacrifice. Jesse calls him the youngest, and the word usage used for this suggests that he was the least, so small in his father's esteem that it wasn't even necessary to include him in on family gatherings. Some who study Bible history, uh, because of what I told you a a little bit ago about his appearance, think that David might have actually been an illegitimate child. And that's why Jesse had him in the fields tending the sheep, left out of the family's public togetherness because he was ashamed of him. Some of you feel that way. You feel like you're the least likely to be chosen. You are not your father's choice. You feel small. You feel unnoticed. You feel not even thought about enough to be included. You feel like an illegitimate child. But you are your heavenly father's choice. You are a child of God. You are not unwanted. You are not forgotten. Hear me, you are not illegitimate. Your heavenly father looks at your heart, not your stature, not your outward beauty, not your education, not your accomplishments, not your platform. To him, all that matters is your heart condition. Do you hear me? Your anointing is only about your heart condition. I'd like to suggest that maybe if we spend as much time on our hearts as we spend on our outward appearances, our hearts would be in better condition. In this book, Alan, the author, says, God's call to any man or woman and the anointing of the Spirit for service, for being used of God, are conditioned 
upon that man or woman's heart response. Come on, that was so good. That at least needed a woo. Okay. All the other brothers were rejected because of their hearts. David was chosen. He was chosen because of his heart. 1 Samuel 16, verse 12. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully, powerfully upon David from that day on, and Samuel returned to Ramah. Sounds similar, doesn't it? Just like that, David went from being a boy in the fields tending the sheep whose father was ashamed of him to the anointed future king of Israel. Saul, chosen by God and anointed by Samuel to be king. David, chosen by God and anointed by Samuel to be king. Both were put on the same path. Shortly after David is anointed, and this is actually interesting, they think that historical timelines think that the same year that David was anointed was the same year he killed Goliath. Pretty cool year, huh? Shortly after David is anointed, Saul is now in this terribly dark and tormented place. Because remember, the spirit of the Lord had left him, and the Lord had actually sent an evil spirit to torment him. So one of his, his, his aides says to him, I think music would help. I heard that Jesse has a son who plays the harp. Let's send him in and see if he can help calm you down. This is David, newly appointed to be the king of Israel, now going to serve in King Saul's courts for a crazy man. David knows that the Lord has called him to be king. This is so good, guys, get this. But first, he serves faithfully in the place where he's needed the most. God may have a king calling for you, but it might require that you serve a different king first in humility and with patience before you step into your own role as king. It was 22 years from the time that David was anointed to be king to the time that he actually became king. But because David was in tune with the Lord, he trusted God so much that he knew God's timing was perfect. He didn't try to take matters into his own hands, even though it was a terribly long time to wait. Had, we been, had I been anointed king, I would have had like t-shirts made and hashtag and, you know, put it on social media. Hey, not David. He waited patiently for the Lord. This is in stark contrast to King Saul. Saul was not patient. His heart was not steadfast after the Lord. He took matters into his own hands. He turned his heart to himself, wanted to build up himself instead of to the Lord. He didn't wait on the Lord. Church, I am telling you, there is beauty and wealth in waiting on the Lord. David was patient, 
willing to wait on the Lord's timing, kept his heart steadfast, kept it turned towards God. And it, during all of those 22 years, it wasn't a joy ride for David. He wasn't just hanging out in the palace, drinking good wine, eating good food. It was actually a horrible season for David. He went through excruciating struggles in between his anointing and his kingship. See, Saul had become insanely jealous of David because David had killed Goliath and had gotten really popular with the people. The people loved David. And they were worshiping him. And Saul was not happy about that. So Saul goes on a rampage to kill David. David had served faithfully in Saul's courts for seven years. He'd even married his daughter. But David has to flee for his life. He has to leave the palace and run, literally run for his life. So David goes into exile to stay alive, to escape Saul, and he has to leave everything. He has to leave his family. He has to literally run from Saul. Listen, he was anointed, but he was in exile. Life under Saul's reign had gone from bad to worse. He was on such a rampage to kill David that he was out of control in his pursuit to get him. Things were not easy for David. I hear people, well, well I've got a call in my life. Why is my life not easier? God's called me to... David was anointed to be king, and he would become king, but his life was hell on earth. Here's where David's heart condition is once again highlighted. Instead of falling, falling into despair and wallowing in his own trial, in his own circumstances, his reaction sets the standard for what I think we need to follow in the face of hardships. We even know what his response is because he writes a whole bunch of psalms about him. Psalm 34. He's in a cave, scared for his life, running from King Saul, Kings from other nations are also his enemies. And he says this, I bless God every chance I get. My lungs expand with praise. I live and breathe God. If things aren't going well, hear this and be happy. Join me in spreading the news. Together, let's get the word out. God met me more than halfway. He freed me from my anxious fears. Psalm 142, he says, I cried out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way that I should turn. He didn't run to his friends. He didn't run to a self-help book. He went straight to the source where he knew he would find exactly the help that he needed. I love that he says, you alone know the way that I should turn. It's time for that to be our first response, people. It's time for God to be the first place we turn, the first one we talk to. But why did he immediately turn to God? Like, how did he know how to do that? Well, I would like to suggest it's because he was already in daily fellowship with the Lord. He was already used to pouring his heart out to God. And it wasn't a just cry out to the Lord when I'm in a trouble relationship. It was a daily turning to God discipline. His heart was conditioned to go to God first. David lived his life abiding in God. Listen, my friends, the anointing alone is not enough. We see that in King Saul's life. You must abide 
in the Lord. How do you get your heart conditioned right? The Apostle John speaks of this in 1 John. He says, but the anointing that you received from him, the anointing you received from God, abides in you. If you are a follower of Jesus, that anointing is in you. And now, abide in him. We have a part to play in this too. God's spirit is already inside of us if we are a follower of Jesus, but we have to choose to abide in him. Do you get it? It's not one way. It goes both ways. How do you get your heart conditioned right? You spend time with Jesus. Are you daily abiding in him? I can't tell you exactly what that looks like because it's different for everyone. For some people, it's going out in the woods and hearing God speak to them through nature. For others, it's sitting on their front porch with a cup of coffee and their Bible. That's me. For some of you, it's in your workplace. As you're crying out to him and you're talking to him throughout your day, it looks different for everyone. Some of us, though, are relying on past experiences that we've had. We're relying on past words from God. Asking the Lord to sustain you from something that happened a long time ago. Something that happened a long time ago, you're trying to get help for today. A decision that needs to be done today. I would suggest that Saul did that. He relied on a one-time anointing and decided that he was the chosen and he need not daily pursue the Lord. His disobedience and his jealousy and his heart turned from the Lord led him to lose his anointing. Saul's heart was turned away from God. It was hardened by sin. While David recognized the importance of keeping his heart in tune daily with the Lord. He chose obedience to the Lord and surrender of his own will. David's heart was turned towards God, soft by repentance doesn't mean that David didn't mess up. He messed up a lot. But when he did mess up, he repented. He asked the Lord's forgiveness. He said, Lord, cleanse me. Seek out what needs to be worked out in my life. The muck in my life. Cleanse me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Saul versus David. Both were chosen for leadership. Both were anointed by Samuel to be king. Both were filled with the Spirit of God. They have the same call, the same resources, the same Spirit of God. But Saul's heart was full of bitterness and jealousy and hatred and comparison. And David's heart was full of gentleness, patience, meekness, in step with the Spirit of God. Saul chose disobedience, self-promotion, and self-gain. David chose obedience, pursuit of God, and selflessness. God left Saul, God was with David. The Spirit of God, the anointing of God was on both of them. One claimed it and one did not. So you're here today, you're asking, okay, that's great, but what exactly is the anointing and how do I get it? The Spirit of God, listen, the Spirit of God, God's anointing is on every single one of you that follows Jesus. In Bible times, people were anointed with oil to signify God's blessing or call on that person's life. But then Jesus came to earth 
And the Bible says that he was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit to spread the good news and free those who are held captive to sin. After Jesus left, he put that anointing on us. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, anyone who is a follower of Jesus is anointed, chosen for a specific purpose in furthering the kingdom of God. But are you walking in it? Have you claimed it? Have you gotten off the carousel that's going around and around and around? I love this quote from Mr. Redpath from his book. How many of us know professing Christians who have no power in witness, no radiance in their faces, no sweetness in their personalities, no reality in their spiritual lives? No reality in their spiritual lives. They are indwelt with the Spirit, but they are not anointed. The Holy Spirit is in them, but not upon them in power and reality. It's time today for someone, for some of us, to claim our anointing. It's time for us to step into believing that God has already anointed you. You might be in the baggage, but you're already at your destination. Do you hear me? You're already there. It's just time to get off the carousel and step into what God has for you. We clearly see with the life of Saul and David, though, that God's blessings are conditional. He often can't do what he wants to do in you because you will not do what you should. It all comes down to our heart condition. It's time. It's time for you to step into a fresh anointing. It is time for you to cry out to God and say, I am ready. You are abiding in me and I am ready to abide in you, God. Will you be like Saul who lost his anointing, whose heart was hardened? Or will you be like David, a man after God's heart, a man who even though he sinned and messed up, kept his heart turned towards God. His heart remained soft to the Lord and the Lord was able to continue using him to bring Jesus to feet. Let's pray. Stretch your hands out if you feel comfortable and say, Lord Jesus, I know you have anointed me. I know you have called me and you've put me here on this earth for a specific purpose. Maybe that purpose is to lead my family well. Maybe that purpose is to step into a role that I have been saying no to for a long time. Maybe that purpose is to start something new. Maybe that purpose is to stop lying. Maybe that purpose is to stop abusing a substance that's ruling and controlling my life. Whatever it is, what is it that God is saying, this is keeping you from stepping into your anointing. This is keeping you on the carousel going around and around and around. Ask the Lord to show you. David did that. He said, search me, God. Search my heart. Show me what I need to have you dig out of my heart. The Lord will do that for you. He'll show you. Maybe not right now. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe the next day. Ask God for that, Lord Jesus. I pray over these people here, this family here. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be people who step off the carousel, out of the baggage, and into the anointing that you have placed on us, God. That we would be obedient to your voice. That we would have hearts of repentance 
that we would have soft hearts that are turned towards you, God, so that you can use us to fulfill your ultimate plan here on earth, that we would bring praise and glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.